Father God, we praise you that we get together here as a family and there is joy in the house of the Lord. There is laughter and, and it is good. Father God, we praise you for your love for us, your son sent to us, that we would know salvation, that we would know you, that we would be reconciled to the God of our creation. We thank you, Father, for all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever had the check engine light go on in your car? Yeah, not, not the orange one either, that red one, right? The orange one just means there's some kind of emissions issue, but the red one. It's an awful feeling, isn't it? You're driving down the road and the light goes on. Boom. Am I going to be stranded here? 20 miles from home on the freeway? And it's two-lane roads. How are people going to get around me? How much is this going to cost me to fix? How often, be honest, do you keep driving anyways? Right? It'll just go off, won't it? As bad as it feels when that light goes on, the light is there for your good. The light is there as a warning. It's an advanced indication that there is something seriously wrong in your car. And if you don't do something about it, the damage could be catastrophic, couldn't it? Could cost you a whole lot more than if you just pull over and get it taken care of. In our passage tonight, John the Baptist is our check engine light. He's the one who comes in with that advanced warning that there is something seriously wrong. Warning everyone of what is to come. He tells us that the day of judgment is imminent. He tells us about who the judge is, that this judge coming is mighty. And that there are three things then for us to look at to do in preparation for that day, for that judgment to come. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles up to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Let's stand up for the reading of God's Word. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. 
Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. reading of God's Word. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you very much. So John the Baptist comes in the wilderness preaching as a fulfillment of prophecy. Verse 3, it says, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This man bridges the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. His clothes His diet and his message are all reminiscent of an Old Testament prophet calling Israel to repentance, calling Israel to turn back to God and turn away from the false gods and the sinfulness that they brought into the nation while proclaiming at this point not simply a repentance but the coming of Messiah. That it was at hand, the kingdom of heaven at hand. What does it mean to have something at hand? Right there where you can can reach out and touch it, huh? As John bridges the the Old Testament and the New Testament, John is declaring that, that while there may be a new covenant on the way, this mighty one whom I'm declaring to you, There's nothing new going on here as he bridges both. He brings the New Testament, the Old Testament, and the New Testament together. There's nothing new going on here. This is exactly what God had proclaimed far back, starting in Genesis. And John is the one who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. And this new covenant to come, this new covenant that's right here at hand, there's nothing new about it. It's everything God had proclaimed to us from long before. There's nothing new going on here. The coming one is a fulfillment of the Old Testament law, a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Matthew 5, 17. Jesus himself says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The Old Testament is not done away with, it's fulfilled. John is here to remind everyone that that God is not dead. God does not sleep. He does not slumber. He's alive and he is active. He is still the righteous and holy God that he always has been. John's message of repent is a reminder of God's holiness. And he he says the kingdom is at hand as he acknowledges God's current activity at that moment. There had been a period where Israel had not heard anything from God for some time. John is reminding them God is just as alive and active as he always has been. 
and the kingdom of heaven, you can touch it. It's right here. It's at hand. The day of judgment is imminent. Verse 2, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 10, he warns them. He says, even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Even now. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This day of judgment is imminent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The coming day of the Lord is proclaimed. It's pronounced very similar to the prophets who came before John. Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Does that sound familiar? From Malachi to John. Verse 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The day of the Lord is on its way. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Check your engine. Joel chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. The day of the Lord is coming. The day of judgment, the day that the wheat and the chaff are separated and there is no more opportunity for the chaff to turn from their wicked ways. Even now, John says, at this very moment, the axe is laid at the root of the trees for judgment. The coming one will separate the righteous from the wicked, as we read in verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Who is this his? Who is this he that John is talking about? Who will do this? Who is this coming one, this great judge? Verse 11, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The one who is coming is mightier than John. 
So let's look at who John is. John comes as a prophet. He's associated with that great prophet of the Old Testament, Elijah. Back in the book of 1 Kings, when, when the king asked for a description of a, of a prophet that had been told to him, the people described Elijah in this way. They answered the king, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. And the king said, it is Elijah, the Tishbite. And so John comes, and what does he wear? He came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and now John, verse 4, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. He came in the likeness of Elijah. Elijah, who prayed, and the clouds did not let loose rain for three and a half years. Who prayed, and then the skies opened up. Elijah, who prayed, and fire from heaven fell down and consumed a water-soaked offering. And not just the offering, but the entire altar upon which it sat. And all the water. A great man of God. Matthew 11, verses 11 to 14. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, He is Elijah, who is to come. uh, Jesus himself considers John to be Elijah, to have come again in the power and the presence and the message of that Old Testament prophet. John is one who receives and declares the word of the living God. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was chosen by God. He was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. And it was reiterated here in this passage, verse 3. He was the one spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. How many people can say they were prophesied of in the Old Testament? Spoken of long before in Scripture. John was a great man of God. Who could be greater? Who is this one that is mightier than him? Let this not fall on deaf ears as it did to so many at the time of John. As he proclaimed to them, there is one greater than I. And they looked at him and said, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Who are you? He said, there's one mightier than I. He kept trying to point them to Jesus. John says that he is unworthy. John is unworthy to perform the most menial task for him. See, at the time in that New Testament period, teachers were not paid. But all the students that they gathered around them, they would be told that they were to perform all the tasks for their master, for their teacher, that a slave would perform, except 
the one thing that the lowest student would never have to do would be to untie their teacher's sandals and carry them because that was too low. Only a slave should do such a thing. This one who is, who, who is mightier than John. John says, this teacher, this coming one, is so much greater than I that I am unworthy to be his slave. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. The coming one, as we studied back in December in this book of Matthew, is the son of David, chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is the king who is proclaimed the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? He's the king. He was born of the Spirit of God. Chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. When the angel spoke to Joseph, he reminded him that the child in Mary would be of the Holy Spirit. His father is God. Not simply Joseph, but God. He is called Emmanuel, God with us. Chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, well, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is both God and King. This mighty one who is to come, King of kings and Lord of lords. John is the herald of God himself. Look at that passage in Isaiah with me. Isaiah 40, verse 3. It's, it's spoken of in our passage today. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's how it's worded in Matthew. What does it say in Isaiah 40, verse 3? It says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That is the one whom John proclaimed. That is the one whom John prepared the way. God Almighty. God Himself is to come. And He has the authority to baptize with the Holy Spirit, not just with water. To send the Spirit, to live in those, to abide in those who believe. Jesus said, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Jesus is the one who, who sends the Spirit of truth from the Father. This is the one who holds the axe up to the root of every tree. 
This is the one who takes up his winnowing fork and will cast all that wheat up into the air and then and, and the wind will blow away the chaff and the chaff will be burned as the wheat falls back down to the floor. He will sort it out and he will judge which is which. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 to 17 tells us exactly why he has every right to do this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, preeminent. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This world... This place that we live in, that we stand in, we sit in, it's His. This is His threshing floor. And we are in it. And He will clear it. And the day, the day of the Lord is closer than it ever has been. If it was at hand in the day of John the Baptist, where is it now? Any moment, like a flash, Jesus will will come down in the cloud and take believers to be with him. And there will be judgment poured out upon this earth. Let those of us who have ears to hear, let us hear. The message of John the Baptist is serious. It is dire. So what are we to do? John gives us three things that we are called to in preparation for judgment. First, we have to recognize our sinful condition. Verse 2, what was John's message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word repent, it's in that imperative voice. This is non-optional. This is not a maybe or a when you feel like it. It's repent. Do it now. It must be done. We have to recognize our sin from what, for what it is. We have to, to turn away from it. We have to see it, and we have to turn from it. We have to repent. And in order to turn away from it, we have to be able to see it for what it is. We have to recognize our sin for the evil that it is before God. And then we not only seeing what it is, not, not to brush over it and cover it up, but to admit to it. See it for what it is, admit what it is, and turn away from it. That is the message of John the Baptist because the judge is coming. Verses 5 to 6. He says, then It says, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. They didn't just see their sins for what it is and keep walking in those ways. They came out. They did something about it. They turned from them. They confessed them. They said, this is sin. 
And I shouldn't be walking in those ways anymore. And I do need salvation. I do need to turn from these things. And we need to remember that repentance is not a relative term. Sin must be realized in accord with God's definition of what it is. This world is busy at work to tell us that certain things aren't sin any longer. And they're eager to tell us that God is still speaking and there's new revelation to this day. And sin A and sin B and sin C, they're all okay. Just keep walking. Not according to God. Sin is not relative. It's all in accord with what He says it is. It must be realized in accord with God's definition. His absolute moral reality as the one who established the heavens and the earth, the one who sets the rules. Not my rules, not my chosen morality, not yours, not anyone else's. We need to come in repentance before God. Secondly, we should bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. Verse 8. We need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Often people like to point out just how wretched the Pharisees and and Sadducees were and, and let us not begin to think that we are any better than they. James calls us to the very same thing. There needs to be evidence in our lives that our faith is actually there. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Our works stand as evidence of our faith. You, you've probably heard it said that when you squeeze an orange, orange juice comes out, right? You squeeze a lemon, lemon juice comes out. What 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 comes out when it's squeezed is evidence of what it actually is. It's proof of the fruit. When we get squeezed in life, when life becomes hard or challenging, or, or sometimes even when life becomes unchallenging, when life becomes easy, what is it that comes out of us? Do we bear fruit in keeping with what we've said, our confession before God? our need for a Savior, our love for Christ? Do we bear the fruit of the Spirit or do we bear the fruit of this world as we chase after the things in this world? We need to repent. We need to bear the fruit of that repentance. And thirdly, this one isn't so much of a to-do. This one is more of a what-not-to-do. Do not rely upon the religious sanctification but upon God who can raise up children from any walk of life for himself. Chapter 3, verse 7 to 9. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! 
Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were reliant upon their heredity, upon their religion, their religious activities, their rights and their laws, their piousness. In order to get through that judgment of God, they were the chosen people of God. Therefore, they would not be judged. They'd be in heaven. John tells them to turn from their earthly identity and instead find their identity in God. It is not their heredity that would save them, but they needed to let God do the raising up. Do not find your salvation in religion. Religion will not save you. Find it in God alone. Live with Him and for Him being his child and bearing fruit as such. But do not find your salvation in the fruit or in the good works. Find it in God alone, for it is by grace we have been saved, not by works. Do not find our salvation in the comforts of this world. Nothing earthly can provide the salvation that we need. You can't find salvation from sin in this fallen world through anything in this sinful fallen world. It would make no sense to try and find salvation from sin, from sinful things in a sinful world. That's like trying to use a broken wrench to turn a broken bolt or use a broken violin to make bad music better. It just makes no sense whatsoever to reach to the things of the world, to rely upon ourselves or this world for salvation. It's just piling worse on top of bad, isn't it? You will only find salvation in God alone through Jesus Christ alone. His sacrifice on the cross in our place. His death for ours. That's atonement. His death in our place. And we are all fallen. We are all sinful and fallen short of the glory of God, found missing the mark of God's absolute holiness and perfection. We all need salvation. And if we want to be a child of God, we must repent. Recognizing our sinful condition and our inability to make our own selves right before him. We, we should bear fruit in keeping with that repentance as it stands as evidence of that faith that we have proclaimed, of that, that real heart change in who we are. And we must rely upon God alone for salvation, not upon heredity or religion or supposed good works, because we know that the judgment of God is coming. Let us do these things. Well, what if we already have Jesus in our hearts? Now, this is a good message about salvation that Matthew gives us, but I already know this, and I've already heeded this warning. I've already accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. Good. You saw the check engine light on, and you did something about it before it exploded. That's great. But we 
We live in a world where children are murdered in schools by other children. We live in a fallen, broken, sin-filled world. A world that needs salvation. A world with a broken heart, literally broken and separated from God. And many of those hearts today are yearning for a healing. Or at least they're willing to recognize that the heart is where the real problem lies. I don't know about you, but I've heard ever since that school shooting in Florida, I've heard more people standing up publicly and saying, it's not this or that, it's the heart. It's the fact that we've taken God out of school. We've taken prayer out of school. We've removed morality from our children. Some of them aren't acknowledging God, though. They acknowledge it's a heart problem and we need to moralize our kids. They understand that it's the heart that's the, where the problem lies. But they're trying to fill that God-shaped hole with other things. Let's put a sign up. Let's put some books out there. Make them read. Make them study more about morality. Maybe we can moralize something into them. Who will carry the gospel to these people? They are, they are primed. They are ripe. Ready for the picking. Ready to hear God's truth. They see the need now. They're seeing it more and more. Who will take to them a message of eternal life and hope? If not us. If we just look out into this world and say, they'll get it from somebody. They'll get it from somewhere. Yeah, they'll get something. They'll try and fill that hole with something. Will it be the truth? Will we be that check engine light for them? When will the church stand up and take action against sin and evil in the hearts of men? It's real, isn't it? then let's really do something about it by planting those seeds, planting that, that gospel message everywhere we go, being that John the Baptist everywhere we go, letting people know it's imminent. That kingdom, it's at hand. And you don't want to be there when the judgment falls because it will fall without mercy. Scripture calls it being salt and light. We can do it in kind and gentle ways and still bear the truth. Make it tasty like salt makes food tasty. Preserving like salt preserves. Shedding light that people can see the truth for what it is. The book of all uh, Acts calls us to fill the gap. That's our mission. That's our call. That's our purpose. Let's walk in it. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for the mission given to us. And Lord, we praise you for John the Baptist coming and, and warning, declaring it with all boldness, the necessity of repentance, the necessity of, of, of bearing fruit in keeping with that repentance. Lord God, give us the strength to do these things ourselves and to share this message of salvation in Jesus Christ, that gospel message with everybody we know. 
reaching out to them, even when it's inconvenient, even when it's hard. Lord, give us strength we don't know we have. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and then give us words and wisdom that are not our own. We pray, Lord, that you help us to take action as we are called to action. And we pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.